is that Britney Spears' new single? Oops, I did a malpractice. <laughs> Doug Jones, dude. Horror icon. Mario Lopez Jones over my dead body. <laughs> People be crazy. People do be crazy. Sex must have been amazing, by the way. <laughs> Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Calissa Mollis, and I'm joined by Kate Colvin and Will Wallace. Every week, we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series one episode at a time. And this week, we're talking about season three, episode 15, Galvanize. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, Alpha and Beta. The Beta section is for first-timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, Alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series, as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the Alpha and Beta sections. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our wealthy patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives like early access to episodes, Full Moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com slash RTBH podcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at return to Beacon Hills at gmail.com. This week's episode is titled Galvanize, and it was written by Owen O'Donnell and directed by Robert Hall. In it, on mischief night, October 30th, a convicted killer undergoes surgery at Beacon Hills Memorial Hospital that goes awry. When he escapes, Melissa and Stolinski worry that he plans to go after supernatural teenagers. The twins try to get Scott to let them into his pack and decide to return to high school with renewed interest in Lydia and Danny. Lydia hears strange noises, but she struggles to wield her powers effectively. Scott has an eventful dinner with the Yukimuras. Lydia and Styles find a message indicating that Kira might be in danger. Frightening figures descend on Isaac and isolate him from Allison and Chris. Our favorite quote for this episode is actually a conversation between Styles, Scott, and Isaac. It starts out with just Styles and Scott. Styles says, Scott, I don't think you get it yet. You're an alpha. You're the apex predator. Everyone wants you. You're like the hot girl that every guy wants. Scott says, the hot girl? Styles says, you are the hottest girl. At that point, Isaac walks up, just catches the end of that, says, what? Scott says, I'm the hot girl. Isaac says, yes, you are. I like this. This is a lot of fun, but I'm also like, now kiss. <laughs> Where's Allison? Kiss. Yep. And the honorable mention is also a conversation. It's between Kira and her dad. Mr. Yukimura says, try again, fail again, fail better. Kira says, are you quoting Samuel Beckett to me? Mr. Yukimura says, I thought that was Yoda. I, too, thought it was Yoda. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Ken, bring in dad jokes. Love it. The episode begins with Raphael supervising as a mysterious patient is brought to Beacon Hills Memorial Hospital at night, which rudely interrupts Melissa from her Halloween decorating. Melissa McCall looking fine tonight. (laughs) I think this one slash the following episode, which is Halloween proper, is the only time Teen Wolf observes a holiday. I know Teen Wolf is skittish about establishing timelines, but I find holiday episodes so fun. Halloween episodes in particular. Absolutely. 
Stalinsky tries to stop Raphael from bringing the patient in for surgery, but the county hospital refused to take him, and someone has to. Armed guards bring the patient in on a gurney. Melissa is visibly spooked, but she's the one who usually does pre-op interviews, so it falls on her. Yeah, of course it does. She's the only one who does anything in this hospital. You're not wrong. She is single-handedly keeping that place open. Styles is also up and about on this night because now that it's past midnight, it's officially October 30th, also known as Mischief Night, Hell Night, Devil's Night, and Coach Finstock's birthday. <laughs> that means it's time for some fond pranking, he tells Scott over the phone. Styles insists that Scott join him, and Scott does. In fact, he was already in the locker room with Styles, and Scott scares the hell out of him when Styles finally turns around and sees him there, flashing his eyes red. Scott's just so happy with himself. I know! His smile is so adorable! Styles' line, I hate you, isn't in the original script. Maybe it was just a fun ad-lib. That is a fun ad-lib. I liked it. As Melissa heads to the patient's room for the pre-op interview, Raphael briefs her so she knows what the man is capable of. The patient is William Barrow, a former electrical engineer who walked onto a school bus with a shrapnel bomb and left five students maimed or dead. Melissa asks whether psychiatrists have made any progress with Barrow. Raphael says no. When he gets out, Barrow will do it again and get it right next time. Wait, why would he get out? I think he means if Barrow escapes. Yeah, I think that's what he's getting at. If Barrow got out, he'd do it again. There's no way they'd let this guy out. That's what I thought, but he said when, not if. I think that's weird. Yeah, well, he just had a really good attorney, apparently. (laughs) Melissa gets to Barrow's room and conducts the pre-op interview. The operation is to remove shrapnel that's blocking vital functions. She asks standard questions and listens to his heart. Uh, Put a mouth guard on him. Jesus Christ. I know he's not (laughs) like a cannibal, but still, come on. Pretty sure I've seen Jones in something else where he was a cannibal. Fear itself. Right, yes. The Wendigo episode. Mm-hmm. They should have brought him in Hannibal Lecter style, definitely. Imagine how long the limbs would have to be on that straight jacket to fit Doug Jones. Especially <laughs> made straight jacket there. Mm-hmm. Noshiko's lineage was so unique, he actually thought about sharing it to the class, much to Kira's chagrin. Did you really learn Spanish for Pan's Labyrinth? So, Melissa does ask the question she really wants to ask. Why did Barrow do it? Because he saw their eyes glowing, Barrow explains. He gets increasingly agitated, repeating over and over, their eyes were glowing before his words devolve into a scream. Ah, he's like that character on The Boys, but without the right-wing propaganda that got him there. So you saw their eyes glowing and you decided to murder them? People be crazy. People do be crazy. At school, the former Alpha Twins approach Scott, not because they're back at school, but because they want to discuss the possibility of becoming part of Scott's pack. Styles joins them for the discussion and immediately shuts the twins down. Aiden says Scott has no reason to say no. Styles' face when he says that? Priceless. In the script, the scene began with Styles arriving in the Jeep and seeing some students wrapping Coach's car in plastic wrap, only to be run off by Coach. I bet this was cut for time, but it would have been a lot of fun to see. Indeed. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I, I get why they cut it because if it's not the main characters doing it, then is it really worth the precious, precious investment for Teen Wolf? But it's fun to imagine. Yeah. Isaac joins them next and reminds everyone about the twins' role in killing Void and says he isn't sure why they're not just impaling the twins right now. I agree with him. Aiden wolfs out and challenges him to try. Y'all are at school. That hasn't stopped him before. And not all of them are high school students. That's true. They're in plain sight of a bunch of humans. That's also accurate. But luckily, Scott holds Isaac back. Boyfriend, still stay. (laughs) Heal. Good boy. Here's a scarf. 
<laughs> but that doesn't mean Scott has any intention of letting the twins join his pack. His friends don't trust the twins, Scott explains, and neither does he. When I see you dressing in a Henley trying to make us think of Derek. We're not fooled. When Scott, Styles, and Isaac leave, Aiden tries to convince Ethan that they should go back to school since they never finished. Yeah, who doesn't want to go back to high school when they're 26 years old? Sure, that's how it works. All you have to do is walk in through the doors and throw on that backpack, and you are a high schooler. No questions asked. Hey, Kim and Crow did it to write past times. It's totally fine. Ethan is not amused and wonders if this is about Lydia. Aiden says it's about getting Scott to change his mind. After all, they're Omegas right now, the bitches of werewolf society. And when the people they've screwed over realize that, they'll be dead. Ethan still thinks that sounds better than going back to high school until Aiden directs his attention to perfect Danny, who's sitting and talking with his ex. Damon Jackson. I guess he and his ex are on good terms now. Friendly reminder that Tyler Hecklin is less than a year older than the Carver twins. Aiden and Ethan have officially admitted that they're not actually high school age anymore, and they have relationships with Lydia and Danny, respectively. This is a PSA for people who are fine with the canonical relationships but hate Steric. <laughs> Ethan gives in but says he won't take math no matter what. No matter. Ian says he'll take math for him. Uh, I'd forgotten they had perfect Hawaiians here. How exactly does one forget National Treasure Danny Mahialani? I don't know. Are they actually planning on getting degrees? Like, does it matter if one of them doesn't show up for math? Well, I mean, they're twins, so the teacher would never know. He says, I'll take it for you, so I assume he'll just be in that class. I think she just means, does it matter at all? Oh, yeah. no. None of if this the matters. pain is <laughs> no. to graduate. Yeah, like, unless they're actually legit trying to get degrees, it just seems like, oh, well, like, just go to classes you want because you're just around anyway to fill your day, I guess. Go get jobs, twins. <laughs> That would mean more sets that we have to build, and we don't have enough money. We've already spent, like, a million dollars on this high school set, so everyone goes to high school no matter what. Inside the school, Styles congratulates Scott on making his good decision. That I made for you by telling the twins no before you could even respond. I loved it. I should always speak for Scott. While discreetly hiding a carton of eggs in his locker, Styles asks Scott if he's staring at Kira because he likes her. Wolfies, did y'all see that person being ridden like a horse in the background of the wide shot? What the f*** was that? I need you to ride this other extra, please, and thank you. Sorry, do I get a pay bump for this? A horse bump, perhaps? <laughs> Maybe they were just like friends who were extras, like, you know, we were friends, mm -hmm. but they never asked one of us to ride the other. Missed opportunity. <laughs> Styles says Scott should ask Kira out immediately. Scott is surprised, so Styles explains that he's an alpha now, an apex predator, like the hot girl that every guy wants. What a just fun comparison, by the way, out of everything in the world he could compare him to. The hot girl. Yeah. Isaac walks up to them and only catches the end of the conversation, but that doesn't stop him from encouragingly agreeing that Scott is indeed the hot girl. Scott is delighted. Oh my god, I love Isaac. He's like, I don't know what's happening here, but yes. You are the hot girl. Scott looks so happy. Yeah, there's an extra moment in the script at the end of the scene. Isaac sees Allison watching him at the end of the hallway, but when their eyes meet, she rushes off. I can only assume because she heard him say that Scott's the hot girl and she's hurt. Or she's like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. I'm also the hot girl. Getting hot and flustered. Two hot girls and a hot guy. Let's make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> Coach Finstock cautiously comes into his office, checking for any hidden pranks. There's a single small present on his desk, which he carefully opens. It's filled with nails and screws. Finstock laughs and yells to no one in particular if that's all they got. But then he picks up the gift box and everything in the office collapses. 
including the chair he tries to sit down on. Well, that's where all those nails and screws came from. In the script, there's now the business of coach testing items and searching his office. Forney probably ad-libbed all of that on the day. And I think it's a fun little detail that he put in there. Yeah, it um, is. I really love the dedication from Scott and Styles. I assume it's probably what Styles' idea to do that, but man, the dedication of taking out every single one, but still having the stuff together. Yeah, mm-hmm. very time consuming. It's a pretty elegant prank, as it's that quite sort of good. Goes. Finstock storms into the classroom and calls out the evil little punks who destroyed his office and egged his house. In a fury, he stomps on the gift sitting on his desk at the front of the classroom, but it turns out to be a personalized mug from Greenberg. No strings attached. He's like, I prefer the screws in the box over a gift from Greenberg. I don't want your love, Greenberg. <laughs> Danny notices Lydia acting strange. She says she's just trying to spot a fly, but when Danny looks confused, Lydia realizes that she hasn't actually seen a fly. She's just heard the buzzing. The insectile buzzing sound fades into the buzz of medical equipment in Barrow's operating room. The surgeon asks whether the others think he should make a small slip and let Barrow bleed out. Melissa looks shocked, but the surgeon assures her it's just a joke. The doctor is played by Brandon Boyce, an actor and a friend of Jeff's, whom we've seen on the show before. He was previously in the same role in Tattoo and The Overlooked from season 3A. I kind of agree with the doc, but would have been so bad if he made a oopsie on that guy. Oops, I did a malpractice. But, uh. <laughs> Is that Britney Spears' new single? <laughs> yes. What they find inside Barrow's body isn't shrapnel. It's a pulsating, organic mass. Lizzie tries to get the surgeon's attention to this, but he's distracted looking for a missing 10-blade scalpel. I love how that looks. Yeah, lean in real close to it, guys. Yeah, put your face right there. Before their eyes, the mass bursts, releasing a swarm of live flies into the room. In the chaos, Barrow sits straight up, pulls the mask off his face, slashes at the surgeon's throat with the missing scalpel, and escapes. Doug Jones, dude. Horror icon. Yes, he is. Melissa has some dialogue right before the tumor burst that isn't in the script. We don't see her speak in this dialogue. It was probably added in ADR to make the scene a little more intense. I'm a little confused. I thought she was an ER doctor. Why is she in the OR? High turnover. Yeah, high turnover. Okay. Because we had a scene in there. We needed to have a character who's a face. And Melissa has a perfect one. So we were like, do this. At the loft, Derek sews Peter's finger back on. Peter asks if Derek doesn't have anesthetic. Derek says he does. He just doesn't offer it to Peter. He does, however, agree to show Peter what they risked their lives and digits for. It's inside a Triskelion-marked cylinder that was inside the large mountain ash box. Ever played Yahtzee? <laughs> it is like the right size and shape. It's, yeah. Uh, do you think it would have been like some form of like wolfsbane or something? A werewolf anesthetic? Probably, I would assume something, some kind of less potent wolfsbane. I always want to know more about werewolf medicine. Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah, y'all failed us. Yeah. (laughs) I agree. We could have had a lot more of that. The cylinder holds a set of claws, Talia's claws. Y'all nasty. You're real nasty, call her Miss Hale. (laughs) These claws were all that was left of Talia after the fire. Derek has heard that they offer a way to communicate with Talia, and he has something he needs to ask her. Derek puts the claws in special slots inside the cylinder so that they're arranged like a hand, ready for Peter to dig his fingers into them and then push them into the back of Derek's neck. I have a question. Where do you think Derek heard that? He read the script. He read the script. I could see that maybe that that's kind of a thing that floats around in like that 
alphas can do? Because I mean, we already know that you can transfer and take memories and all that. So, so it's not a Talia specific thing. It'd be like an alpha yeah. Thing. I think it's an alpha thing. My head canon is that after the Canima situation, when Derek said that he had heard about a Canima but didn't think it was real, that it was just like a story, that there are fairy tales. Mm-hmm. in the werewolf community and he always assumed that none of them were real but then after the cannabis situation was like wait maybe some of these are real and this was one of them so it's like a hail mary i like that that's cool after all derek says that's why he sewed peter's finger back on derek with the jokes or i guess not jokes so much as deadpan deliveries but for derek that's a joke yeah. sass Derek <laughs> sass. is sassy this time yes at the hospital, Melissa released to Stolinsky what was inside Barrow. His stomach was full of live flies. She also explains what Barrow said about seeing kids' eyes glow, which Stolinsky read in the report. When a stolen ambulance is spotted mere blocks from Beacon Hills High School, they grow worried that Barrow means to target other glowing-eyed teenagers there. Unaware of the danger, Aiden approaches Lydia. After two weeks of radio silence, she says there's no way they're going to tear each other's clothes off like they used to. But that lasts about a minute before they burst into Finstock's office, ready to do just that, until they notice that their office is a wreck. They decide to go to the guidance office instead, where hopefully there's an intact desk to bang on. Yes. Ooh, you can see Doug Jones's shadow move a little bit behind the door. Creepy. Once they leave, Barrow emerges from behind the door. He takes off his hospital wristband and uses a staple gun to hold the wound from his unfinished surgery closed. Good for him. He's been watching some survival shows. Yes. Styles is shocked when Slonsky arrives at the school and tells him that the infamous shrapnel bomber is near the school. A little closer than nearby, Stolinsky says. He's right behind you. In the script, there's actually a short scene that comes before this one. In it, Styles is eating lunch with a mouthful of fries, of course, when he sees sheriff's deputies and federal agents rushing by and he follows them. This was definitely cut for time, but it would have been great to see Styles' unique form of eating again, which is always my favorite. <laughs> it's good. During their lunch break, Styles relays what he knows to Isaac, Allison, and Lydia, including how Barrow had a tumor in him full of flies, which he admits would be awesome in other circumstances. The detail about the flies strikes a chord with Lydia, who's been hearing flies buzzing all around her all day. Kira spends her lunch break in the classroom with her dad playing on her phone. And just look at this Samsung ad. She shares with her dad that she's having a hard time making friends here, even though she had a lot of friends back home. The only one who's shown an interest in her was a rabid coyote. Mr. Yukimura says maybe she should date the coyote. Maybe she should. Maybe. Scott overhears part of the conversation in which Kira says she doesn't want a boyfriend, just some friends. Styles asks Scott where he's been. Flailing all over the place. You know, I love to see it. Lydia tells them the police are leaving. Styles assumes that's because they've cleared the building and grounds, but Lydia says Barrow has to be here because the buzzing is getting louder. So Styles warns his dad not to leave, but Stalinsky says there's an eyewitness who put Barrow by the train station. Yeah, you can't trust eyewitnesses. I just imagine that they get a call from Barrow disguising his voice, being like, uh, uh, I totally saw him by the train station, not by the school. Uh, bye. <laughs> I'd like to have actually seen that scene. That, that would have been great. <laughs> this is the first time Stalinsky has heard that Lydia is supernatural. Stalinsky glances over at Lydia, who pretends to be very interested in a classroom door. Lydia cracks me up here. Hmm, yes, good construction on this door. I know doors. It's such a cute scene. It's one of my absolute favorites with her. Her little wave. It's great. I also love the callback where Sheriff says that 
Well, she wasn't on the chessboard. Right, yeah. yes. Call back to previous season. Yeah. Styles needs to keep that thing updated. He does. Styles explains that she's a banshee and can sense people who are close to death. Selinsky asks if she can sense that he's about to kill Styles. Lydia gives them an innocent little wave. Though he says he's still a believer, Stalinsky goes with the eyewitness over the banshee witness. They're leaving a few deputies at the school, which will be on lockdown until three. Styles can't believe Stalinsky's going to leave him there. Oh, Styles' face. I will say, it doesn't really make sense for all of the cops to go. They could split up. I know, I thought that too. Yeah, Raphael does have his own guys. I mean, they know how quickly a whole station full of deputies can be wiped out. It just seems like leaving a few deputies behind for an entire school is a real bad idea. Probably. Also, just send the kids home. I know that they probably worked through a lot of snow days while with school closures for murder. Murder days. Murder days. (laughs) But still, that just seems like a really, like the possibility of a shrapnel bomber who tried to blow kids is a good reason to close down a school. Yeah, definitely. But not on buses. No. But not on buses, no. That's a whole like, come pick up your damn kid situation. Yeah. Melissa comes to the school and tells Scott to be careful. Even just looking into Barrow's eyes was terrifying. She also drops off Barrow's things so the werewolves can track his scent. Mm, Nice, disgusting clothes to smell. Allison sneaks out the window so she can go home and search the bestiary for mentions of flies coming out of people. Unfortunately, the bestiary is literally 1,000 pages long. You know, you'd think they would have digitized that thing by now. It would take a really long time. The Origins have had it for so long. I feel like they'd make it as easily searchable as possible. On the other hand, we have learned that they are so bad at their jobs. That is accurate. But I agree. We already know they've scanned it into the computer. Why not make it searchable? Maybe you can scan it, but it would scan it in as a photo. You can make it searchable in Adobe. I've done that for work before. In this case, you might have to recreate the font digitally, add that as a new font and tell the program that's the font that the document is in, but it can be done and it would definitely be worth it for the hunters. Come on, come on, man, 21st century. Well, I'm just saying, I feel like maybe Allison can pull it off as part of a younger generation. I think that it's believable that Chris would have no idea how the to do that. He's going on Fiverr being like, hey guys, can anyone digitize this bestiary for me? It's a thousand pages. He's theoretically in business, right? Feels like he would know business tools. He's in the gun business. As they search the school, Isaac complains to Scott about trusting the twins. Scott says he's letting them help, but not trusting them. Isaac wishes they would die. Don't we all, Isaac? Don't we all? Now that's something that I feel like Isaac and Styles could bond over. Yeah. Isaac's dialogue that opens the scene was definitely add with ADR. It's not the script. His first line is off camera, and his second is spoken when we only see the back of his head. Huh. I did not notice that when we were watching it. Scott says if Barrow is here and has a plan, Isaac might just get his wish. And look how happy he is at the thought. That smile was great. That's his, yeah, they should die smile. (laughs) It's a beautiful smile. The twins also search the school, but all they find is Danny making out with his ex. Ethan is upset by this. Aiden just thinks it's funny. You can't hide that magnetism in a cage. It needs to be free. Ethan's over here trying to hide him away from the rest of the world. (laughs) Anyway, Lydia and Styles realized that being an engineer, Barrow could use the boiler room to blow up the whole school. And Isaac, Scott, and the twins are all in the basement at the boiler room. Oops. Once again, Styles and Lydia proving to be the smartest of the bunch. Yes. (laughs) In the script, there's a bit more at the top of the scene where Lydia and Styles talk about Barrow not changing his MO and using a bomb for a second time. 
How pedestrian. Yes. To get the werewolves and all the other students out of the school quickly, Styles pulls the fire alarm. The alarm is a good way to evacuate everyone, but for their friends, you think they just could send out a mass text. Finstock catches Styles pulling the alarm and says that if he were four years younger, he'd punch Styles. Styles says, that doesn't make any sense. I said what I said. And I stand by it. I love it. I love Coach. He just. It's very hilarious. good. Everyone regroups in the courtyard. The werewolves report that they never found Barrowsent in the school. Finstock finds Kira sitting alone in the library, reading with headphones in. He can hardly believe that she didn't hear the fire alarm. Hey, that school library has Robert Ludlum novels. Fun fact, speaking of Robert Ludlum, seven different Teen Wolf alumni worked on The Bourne Legacy. Five stunt performers, a music preparer, and a special effects technician. Teen Wolf shares an accountant with The Bourne Supremacy. A Teen Wolf stunt performer also did stunt work for The Bourne Ultimatum and Jason Bourne. In fact, 14 different Teen Wolf folks worked on Jason Bourne. A hunter from Teen Wolf played a cop on Jason Bourne. The bouncer from Illuminated was a stunt performer on Jason Bourne. A villain from season six was also a stunt performer on Jason Bourne. And eight other stunt performers worked on both Teen Wolf and Jason Bourne, as did two people from the music department and one PA. Sadly, this list does not include J.R. Bourne. Oh. <laughs> I love that detail. Yeah. Thank you. 10 out of 10, Kate. Another, we'll call it fun, fact is that the fire alarm ends in the previous scene. Like it stops, you don't hear it anymore, but then it is heard again in the scene with Kira when she takes her earbuds off. Man, I'm so unobservant. I never noticed stuff like that. Finstock gets Kira out of the library, unaware that Barrow is just one aisle over. Wait, you were just standing there next to that aisle coach and you didn't notice that dude? He's like seven feet tall. <laughs> like, yeah, Finn has a rail, but seven feet tall. Coach is not very observant. It'd be like Kate. Kate would yeah, notice. Yeah. <laughs> I would absolutely be right there and not notice that a seven foot tall teenager murderer was just standing in there amongst the thrillers. Okay. Guess technically he's just six four, but still. Still. He has seven foot energy. There you go. Back at the loft, Peter tells Derek that in exchange for helping him contact his mother, who's also Peter's sister, he wants Derek to let him keep Talia's claws because they have sentimental value. Derek looks skeptical and Peter looks offended, asking if he's not allowed a little sentiment. What? Am I not allowed to grind these up and snort them like cocaine? Come on, be reasonable. What a weird choice of what you think he's going to do with them, Will. I don't you know. Think he's going to get power from them that way? And, and look who we're talking about here. Look, if someone was like, if you grind these up and inject them into your dick, you're going to be the greatest alpha that ever lived. He'd be like, oh, really? So let's... <laughs> he should stop now, taking the advice from... Place your mind went, Will? <laughs> I don't know. He stopped on my joke, which was going to be, he should really stop taking advice from Styles, who just likes to give him, <laughs> like, comes up with weird-ass shit, saying if Peter will try it. Yeah. When Derek doesn't protest, Peter prepares to push his fingers down onto the claws. This feels very cinnabite to me, like something they'd be into. Really? I did not get that vibe. Frustrated with Peter's hesitation, Derek pushes Peter's hand down. Peter's eyes flash blue. So this level, like around chin level, this level is done with Peter's shit. And this level up here over my head is Derek. <laughs> and it's been that way since the start of season two, I believe. Mm -hmm. That evening, Kim tells Kira to put on something nice for dinner because he's invited a guest for a thank you for saving my daughter from becoming a coyote dinner. 
dinner. Yep, it's Scott. Kira's mortified that he sees her in what Will would call her Jam Jams. Oh, those Jam Jams are great. Stay in them, babe. <laughs> she looks very cute. She does. When they sit down at the dinner table, Kira's mother, Noshiko, tells Scott that her husband is a superb chef. He's whipped up some amazing sushi. Tamlin Tomita in the house. Woo! Noshiko can tell from Scott's expression that he's never eaten sushi before. He seems hesitant about the sushi being raw. I've actually never had raw sushi. I'm about that tempura. Tempura is delicious. You've only ever had raw sushi, right, Will? Yes. I know you think you're not a fan of sushi, and maybe you aren't, but I really think you should try cooked sushi. We're totally getting sushi the next time you're here. Yeah. Awesome. Wolfies, what kind of sushi roll do you think each Teen Wolf character would like best? Uh, we oh, are at returntobeganmills at gmail.com. Seeing his reaction, Kira complains that they were supposed to have lasagna. Ken wanted to impress Scott, but he offers to make lasagna anyway. So we'll eat in like 90 minutes. Just go ahead and, you know, entertain yourselves. In that time, we will all just sit awkwardly on the couch looking at each other. <laughs> Scott says he'll try the sushi, but he struggles with the chopsticks. When he drops his sushi, Kira catches it with her own chopsticks. She's skilled. I'd like to see her with a sword. Oh, yes. At Styles's house, Lydia lounges on the bed while Styles updates his investigation board. He explains the meaning of the different colors of string. Green is solved, yellow is to be determined, red is unsolved, and blue is just pretty. Yeah, that's the thing. Derek fans took that as being related to Derek's eyes being blue. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I like it, though. Plus, there was the whole orange and blue thing in season two. So, like, Styles is orange, Derek is blue. You wouldn't think they'd go together, but they do. That rhymed. I love this. There you go. As of now, Styles only has red on the board, and pulling the fire alarm got him detention every day of this week. But he is surprised that he seems okay with this, even though they never found any trace of Barrow at the school. Styles tells her not to doubt herself. In fact, he'd go back to the school right now if she wanted to. I like Styles supporting her here after all the seasons of people around her letting her doubt herself. Even sometimes making her doubt herself. And her own sanity. Yeah, poor Lydia. I like best friend Styles, Lydia. Bro TP. Styles catches the chemical smell, the markers he's using, and realizes something. He tells Lydia to come with him to the school. At the Argent apartment, Allison is in the middle of clicking through the bestiary when she hears something and gets to her feet. I love that shot of her very smoothly coming into frame from the bottom and then the camera follows her up a little bit. It's a great shot. Yes. Allison's concerned until she hears the telltale signs of poor Isaac getting sapped by her newly electrified windows, which she didn't deign to warn him about. Isaac joins her at the computer just as Allison discovers a file her father had open, an image of Hanya, or a demonic mask associated with traditional Japanese no theater. And once again, I ask, where the f*** is Chris? Off doing awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. Give us the born. <laughs> At the loft, Peter gleefully tells Derek that what he's about to do is going to be excruciatingly painful for Derek. Truly, such an asshole. True to Derek form, Derek says to do it anyway, and Peter does sinking the claws into Derek's neck. At the Yukimuras, Scott learns more about Kira's family. They moved to Beacon Hills from New York because Noshiko has several generations worth of family ties to Beacon. Though the name Yukimura is Japanese, Ken is Korean. He chose to take Noshiko's name because she was the only surviving member of her family. They couldn't take both names because they got married in Japan where couples must share the same name. People were really upset about this. Yeah, I remember that. What? Well, which part? 
Ken, who is Korean, taking the name of Noshiko, who is Japanese. People were upset because it inadvertently played into, but didn't discuss, the history of Japan colonizing Korea. The Soshikaime policy inflicted social and political pressure on Korean people to adopt Japanese names, and it was a form of cultural erasure. Those who didn't change their names were at a disadvantage. The policy lasted from 1939 to 1946 and only ended because Japan lost the war. Oh, that's really interesting. So you guys didn't do a lot of research there? No, but in our defense... In our defense, a teen will look... How would you think to research that? You know, be like, or, or why? Weren't you writing about Japanese characters during the Second World War? Yes, but I mean, like, I don't think, like, because, like, all the research we did was, like, into the concentration camps. I see it now, but, like, when we were breaking that, I'm not sure, because we were mostly all white people there. Or we're all Americans there. We're all Americans there. But it's just like, why would you think to, hey, I'm going to have, because of casting, we're now creating an integrated family. Why would you think to Google, is it bad that a Korean person takes a Japanese name? You know, it's like, like, I mean, how would that just naturally come into your brain to think to do that? And And none of our research was about Korea leading up to and during the Second World War. It was all about Japanese and Japanese American experiences. You know, so it's like, how would you, I mean, I, I well, get it. There's a lot of, I, I guess, just like as someone who is American, there's a lot when it comes to like different Asian surnames I'm unfamiliar with. So I would be doing research when it comes On to naming that. conventions. Yes. I think is what she's saying. I can see that. Yes. I would argue that it just underscores how valuable it is to have really diverse writers room. So no, absolutely. You know, if there had been a Japanese American or Korean American writer in the writer's room, they might have caught something that the writers who were actually in the room didn't catch. And that's one of many benefits to having uh, people in the room who represent like the groups of people that are actually on screen. Absolutely. Noshiko's lineage is so unique that he was thinking of sharing it in history class, much to Kara's chagrin. Ken insists that Kara should be proud of her heritage. But their discussion is interrupted when they realize that Scott has eaten all of his wasabi at once, thinking it was guacamole. Mm, I love wasabi. I love guacamole. I would definitely be like Scott. I can't handle heat like that. I never touch my wasabi. I do love in the scene where like Scott's coughing, it looks like he might throw up a little bit and can like move some of the dishes out of the way. <laughs> I, yeah. I noticed on my rewatch, it was just like kids moving the important stuff like out of the way. Was that in the script or was that just something he did on I the day? I think that just happened on the day. Because that's hilarious. It is hilarious. Meanwhile, Styles and Lydia arrive at the high school where they discover that the door to the chemical storage area is unlocked. Inside, the chemical smell is overwhelming, explaining why the werewolves weren't able to catch a scent. Should y'all have come here by yourselves? Good question. Here's another one. Did the police not check this room or even notice that it was unlocked when it clearly shouldn't have been? Yeah, doesn't make the sheriff's department or the FBI look good. They all bad at their jobs. Farrell must have come into the chemical storage room to perform minor surgery on himself before going on the offensive. The question is... Whom did Barrow plan to attack? Styles and Lydia search for clues. In a nearby science classroom, Lydia finds atomic numbers written on the chalkboard. 19, representing K for potassium, based on its scientific name. 53, representing I for iodine. And 88, representing RA for radium. K-I-R-A. Kira. That's the girl we totally blew off, right? (laughs) 
I remember when we were breaking this in the room. I love this kind of shit. So does Jeff. That's why he's here. It's a really good bit. Yeah. Meanwhile, Derek wakes up in a strange dark version of the loft with the stump of the nematon in the center. A majestic wolf runs into the room, flashing red eyes. I believe the reason we had Derek see his mother in doggo wolfy form is because Alicia Coppola wasn't available. She was on another project. The wolf, however, was available. And as you can see, the wolf asked for white eyeliner, which was in its rider. <laughs> in the script, there's a lot more to the scene. For one thing, the Nimpton isn't present, but was probably added because it looks amazing no matter where you put it. But also Derek asks Wolf Talia what to do. He doesn't know what to do and he needs her help. Wolf Talia's eyes glow red and Derek's glow blue in return. I remember seeing GIF set of Tyler Hecklin in an interview where he was saying that he was sad that that bit was cut. Like he really liked that moment of Big Bad Derek saying mom what do i do yeah he's on his knees and everything and it's like it would have been powerful why did that get cut i'm not sure it doesn't come back to this episode at all because we do have the scenes later where you know Derek comes out of it and peter is like oh what'd she say did she ask about me and and all this (laughs) and but we don't get an answer so I, i feel like it's one of those things where like you hate to lose it but since it actually doesn't impact the episode you can maybe take that out and wait and use that at a different point you know, so maybe some yeah. version of this will come back at a later point where it actually is relevant to the episode at hand. Melissa talks to Scott on the phone while he's still at the Yukimuras. He relates his first experience with sushi. Then he asks why she never changed her name back to Delgado. Because it's a bitch to change your name legally. That's why my mom's last name is still Wallace. Yeah, my mom kept her name from her second marriage, even though she divorced him. It's a lot of paperwork. Melissa says she wanted to have the same last name as Scott. That's why my mom's last name is still Calvin, which actually ties back to what upset people about the surname storyline in this episode, that it features two people giving up their ethnic surnames in favor of surnames associated with colonizers. Although, since my mom's maiden name is Spanish language based and one side of her family is from the Philippines, that's kind of already a colonizer's name. So, Colonizers and colonizers. Yep. Scott gets off the phone in time for Kira to come in bearing pizza. At Allison's place, Allison sees right through Isaac when he turns a research session into an opportunity to try to kiss her. Allison assures him that she has no interest in kissing him. To test this assertion, Isaac takes off his shirt. Allison does the same. The reference that Jeff had for this scene is from Cheers, where Ted Danson and Shelley Long slap each other and then kiss. Why exactly did Allison take her shirt off? To show that she wouldn't back down. How does that show that she's not backing down? Backing down in this case would just be kissing him, right? I mean, he took his shirt off to try to tempt her. She's not trying to do the same thing to him. Yeah, but this actually feels like a very Allison thing to me. I believe it. She like is a one-upper. Unfortunately for both Allison and Isaac, at just that moment, Chris walks in. Finally. There's that handsome fella. Hold up the ice cream being like, man, I said that line was so long at DQ. (laughs) Chris tells Allison to join him in his office where he keeps his guns. He reminds Isaac, he can't believe she's with another werewolf. At the loft, Peter removes the claws from Derek's neck, bringing Derek back to the here and now. Peter frantically asks what he asked Talia and whether she said anything about him. She mentioned me? (laughs) Derek doesn't answer, but his grim expression tells Peter that the answer probably isn't good. As Kira walks Scott out to his dirt bike, she says he seems like a nice guy, 
And not just because he saved her from being eaten by a coyote. I would really like just that one line to be shown to people who haven't watched Teen Wolf and have no context for it. (laughs) The gentle acoustic music, two young actors, and what's clearly a romantic scene seems pretty regular. Then she says, you seem like a really nice guy. And not just because you kept me from getting eaten by a coyote. I just think that'd be hilarious. It would be. Kira says Scott seems like a nice guy because he also remembered her name. This is so sweet. But it's interrupted when Barrow suddenly comes up behind Scott and knocks him out with a tire iron. When Scott comes to, Styles and Lydia are there. But since Allison and Isaac came up short on finding relevant information in their research, they have nothing to go on except Lydia's banshee abilities. Unfortunately, Lydia doesn't know how to use her power yet. Lydia feels so frustrated she could scream. Styles encourages her to let it out and scream. When she does, it's nearly ground shaking. Again, they're a great duo, Styles and Lydia, this episode. He's just her banshee wingman, if you will. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Again, she hears buzzing, but this time it's not flies, it's electricity. Styles remembers that Barrow used to be an engineer at a power substation. At the substation, Barrow has Kira tied up as he drags a bundle of live wires along some fencing throwing sparks. Oh, that shot. So cool. Yeah. Barrow takes a picture of Kira on her phone. Nokia. Perfect for serial killers too. This lighting is great for being in a power substation. The rep on set was like, I don't know about this product placement. And the director's like, no, it's art. (laughs) Barrow then explains why he's doing all this. It's like the movie Village of the Damned, he says. The original though. No one cares about crappy remakes. Hey, we can make fun of ourselves too. You guys are not a crappy remake. No, we are incredible. Definitely not. We started with crap and turned it into gold. Absolutely. In the movie Village of the Damned, these children who could make their eyes glow did terrible things. And the tagline was, beware the stare that will paralyze the will of the world. Beryl told people when he saw children with glowing eyes, but they didn't believe him and wouldn't do anything about it. It was like they were paralyzed. So, Barrow decided to force them into action, to galvanize them. Hey, man, I see what they did there. I always want them to just, like, turn to the camera and wink whenever they say the <laughs> That'd be Wasn't great. Wasn't the episode title for this one your idea, Will? No, mine... Which one did I do? Weaponized. Oh. Weaponized okay. in season four. I got other ideas floating around, too. She knew there was an eyes up in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Scott, Styles, and Lydia arrive at the substation because it's the one from Barrow's file. Styles grabs his bat and tells Lydia to wait in the car for police because he only has the one bat. Lydia is not amused. She's like, do I have to do goddamn everything? The answer is yes. I don't understand why the cops aren't there already. Why didn't they call the police right away as soon as they realized where he was? He's not supernatural, so they should be able to handle him. I do not know the answer to that question. Okay, then. So, Scott rushes into the substation, but Barrow lays him low by electrocuting him with the bundle of live wires. Scott tells Barrow that Kira isn't the one he wants. He could just glow his eyes. That would definitely take Barrow's attention off of Kira. That's true. Ignoring Scott's protests, Barrow tries to electrocute Kira with the live wires. Instead of harming Kira, though, the connection causes a surge of electricity that sends Barrow flying and ultimately kills him. The surge gets so intense that it triggers a blackout all through Beacon Hills. As for Kira, Scott looks on in shock, pun intended, while electricity visibly flows into Kira's hands without ever hurting her. Oh, this looks so great. Scott's like, hmm, 
Maybe you do belong in our friend group after all. We will never leave you alone at a table again. Also, he's probably a bit horny. Probably. (laughs) It's a pretty awesome moment. It is. Kira seems as surprised and confused as Scott is. Somehow, the electricity makes her hair look even better. Magic. As the blackout reaches the Argent apartment, Isaac finds himself trapped in a room with shadowy figures and frightening silver masks. I just love the skittering sound they make. Cool sound design. I hope Isaac's okay. Well, you'll have to tune in next week to find out. (laughs) Nice. End of a great episode. All right, Wolfies, that wraps up the beta section for Galvanize. And now we're about to dive into spoilers, not just for this episode, but for the whole Teen Wolf series. If you want to stay spoiler-free for all the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the Alpha. Lydia was on the chessboard. Yeah, she is now. Canima? Uh, Banshee. God. All right, Wolfies. Now we're going to jump over to our interview with Tom Choi, who played Ken Yukimura on Teen Wolf. Let's have a listen. How, let's go way back. How did you get into acting? Oh, wow. You want to go way, way back. Way um, back. <laughs> I'll, I'll spare you the details. I'll, I'll try to make it as interesting as possible. But I was in high school in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, there was a play that I saw, and it was the worst acting in the world. Uh, I was like, I can do that. And later, <laughs> later on, I find out that um, it was a melodrama. And they're supposed to act like that. Oh. Well, it was like the, ah. the, the, the woman on the tracks. And, oh, I will get you. You know, like... Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be acted like that. So had they had it not have been a melodrama, I might have been completely intimidated. I got you. <laughs> All right. Because it was a melodrama, I felt like I could do that. So, I love that story. And now I'm here. So there you go. Very nice. It's like you're like, turn to the person next to you. This is a little bit heavy, don't you think? He's like, sir, this is Uncle Vanya. What are you uh, talking about? Well, then that'd so. be a different story then. <laughs> that would be a different story. That that play is intense. But uh, Yeah. Awesome. Well, okay. So it starts in high school. How did all of that lead to Teen Wolf? How do? Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, okay. So uh, then I went to school and I wanted to do acting because um, I kept doing plays. So then I wanted to get out of Iowa. My dad was in Seattle, so I went to the University of Washington because I, you know, I could I, I, I finagled in-state tuition. Uh, I was a University of Washington School of Drama graduate there. Busted my butt waiting tables at Spaghetti Factory and doing plays at night. And, uh, and you know, you, you know, if you talk about it, it's hard to go to college, take classes and, um, you know, uh, have a job. Uh, imagine having a job, taking classes and having three hour play, uh, you know, practice rehearsals every night. So, oh, wow. Um, it was definitely trial by fire. And I learned learned my chops there. And um, I don't think that I would have been as accelerated in terms of my acting as I would have been had I not gone to a four-year school. I'm not saying that you have to, but, you know, there's a lot of positive because you're you're practicing every day. Nice. So, uh, and then uh, graduated there, um, came down to L.A. after a couple, couple, a couple of years of saving money working at Planet Hollywood and... Uh, uh, thought I was gonna be a big uh, movie star when I when I booked uh, Pacific Blue, the bicycle cop yeah, show. I remember a, that show. Yeah, yeah, with Mario Lopez. Mario yeah. Lopez jumps over my dead body. Uh, <laughs> we shot That's that. That's awesome. On, I know. I it's hey, I you know dead jumping over on a bicycle, of Mario Lopez. Like you know, you just it conjures up memories. I mean, uh, visions and memories. Uh, but we shot it on Venice Boulevard. You know, and excuse me, not Venice Boulevard, Venice, California. 
So everything was roped off. I had a gun in my hand and I had to shoot this woman and everybody was watching. So it was like, I thought I was going to be a TV star. And then I got nothing for like five years. <laughs> hey, that's, that's the biz, right? Yeah, that is, that is the business, unfortunately. Yeah. So yeah. And then, you know, I'm, I'm still a journeyman actor and, you know, I'm just getting some decent parts here and there. And then when the O'Brien calls me in and, you know, auditions me for that role of Mr. Yakamura, uh, uh, Ken Yukimura. Um, I got a, I actually ended up getting a first name. Um, and you know, it was, you know, it's so funny. Like it's always effortless when you get the role, but it's the ones that you put every, like, you know what I mean? Like, you're like, Oh my God, I want this so bad. And like, you, you it's like, you're never going to get those. And then the ones that just kind of, you feel like fall into your lap is the, are the ones that you kind of, Th those are the roles that were meant for you right and so you know thank you to wendy o'brien and also to um obviously to uh jeff um you know for hiring me and i never knew it was going to turn out to be such a big thing you know i think that's how everyone felt about team wolf yeah that's a little thing we <laughs> hear that a lot yeah 100 episodes later so yeah, yeah. and a movie later and a movie mm -hmm. 100 episodes yeah. and a movie. <laughs> were you familiar with the show at all before you were cast no, well, obviously the original, you know, Jason Bateman and everybody says that, because that's my generation, right? Um, so I was not. And uh, I remember going to a screening on the lot and I was like, what is this? <laughs> you know, because it's like, you know, all these derivatives of mythology and everything like that. And it was like, you know, very romanticized and like gritty and like sexy and stuff. And I was like, wow, this is a pretty like, you know, slick thing to be a part of you know and then of course um when it first aired like i went from like two twitter followers to like thirty thousand. i'm like <laughs> what is happening what is happening <laughs> just that's the teen wolf effect yeah it is that was like the effect. first social media twitter phenomenon with tv shows i think right it was right up there right at the beginning so yeah yeah, yeah. it was like that's the awesome. most tweeted show at the time so we great. were pretty good so yeah, pretty cool. You've written, directed, produced, and edited short films. Do you have an interest in doing more behind the camera work? Not right now. I have got a five month old, um, you well, know, and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, you know, I, my ambitions are sort of like acting and uh, just sort of, uh, you know, buying diapers and um doing real estate now and uh i i give so much props to people who can do those um you know day in and day out 12 14 hour days every day on a project committing their own money sometimes um and i'm just like i just don't have that in me you know so um i would love to uh maybe 10 years down the line or something like that or when i kind of maybe become a little more established um and you know i can take on more of a producing role or something like that then but you know you got to look at the realities of things so gotcha Fair enough. Yeah. yeah makes sense mm -hmm. so tom what was a typical day like for you on the team wolf set typical day um it, it was a lot of uh i don't know i mean uh, Typical day on Team Wolf set. I don't know how to explain that. Well, then drive to Northridge. <laughs> um, it was 
always nice because it was kind of like opposite of traffic. Yep. <laughs> I don't know why it always worked out. Uh, everybody was always super cool and, um, you know, cordial. Obviously, there were a lot of uh, uh, young adults on set. Um, and uh, there's that youthful energy. Um, I don't know, typical day. See, I was a guest star. So, you know, it wasn't as um, well, you know, everybody kind of knew, knew each other and things. And so um, I kind of just went in and, and did my thing. And um, yeah, I, I don't know how to explain it. I, I wanted to sound more interesting, but, uh, you know, um, yeah. So, that, yeah. Sorry. Hey, there's. There's nothing wrong with, you know, bright and easy. You know, it's like, you know, because, mm -hmm. you know, the story could be, oh, my God, it was 14 hours of hell. And it was no, just a no, struggle. No, it you know, not. it's like, no, I got to hang out with people. It's fun. No, it was great. I mean, it was like every time I went on set, it was like, I always remember fog. There's always fog. Everything was always foggy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was always on. yeah <laughs> we got to so, get those nice rays. So, yeah. um, and, and, you know, with the storylines being so complex and everything, uh, it was always jumping in into the middle of something like I always felt like there was never a, like a like a ramp up like a beginning it was just constant action from the beginning yep. which is always cool yeah we did it are there any actors or characters that you wish you could have uh shared more of the screen with had more scenes with uh well yeah I'd like to work with like Chris Argent character more and like you oh, know yeah. I, I I always envision this fantasy of like the doors open is like Yukimura what are you doing here and then I just like sling open like the katana blade or something and like reveal my secret skill <laughs> of being like you know uh fifth degree black dan black belt uh you know kempo artist or something where yeah, like nice. And just that would have been super fun. That would have been fun. How do I kickstart this spinoff? <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. That would have been a lot of fun. But uh, yeah. I will admit, I liked Dad Yukimura. I liked uh, the dad jokes, you know. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, yeah. But uh... you did this to me. You put me in the corner. No, but you know what's great about that is uh, I had a role. Uh, my wife was the badass and my daughter was the badass. And to take that role of being the supportive husband slash wife, uh, father, um, it is, is it, it was good. It worked great. Um, I think that being an Asian man, uh, you would get this immediate stereotype anyway. So I'm sure there was probably in the back of some, you know, the fans' minds, like, you know, does he know something? Is he a, uh, you know, uh, 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 Kitsune or whatever? And, um, you know, what's his history and stuff? So, yeah. I think uh, your superpower was making the best lasagna in all yeah, of Beacon Hills. Evidently, and sushi. And, so. and sushi. sushi. So, yeah. Yeah. He also actually teaches history, which is more than can be said for most of the teachers on mm -hmm. Teen Wolf. So I really feel like that deserves a shout out yes. because he does his job. Yeah, yeah. and I think it works with his um, role. Like he did inform, like, especially during the Void Styles period where he really kind of informed on the, 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 the whatever the mushroom stuff and all these different things. And he was very, yeah, I think it was great. It was. 
I know this is a Teen Wolf podcast, but I, I had to ask about Squid Game because you are the English language voice of the front man for Squid mm-hmm. Game, which is Netflix's most watched series ever mm-hmm. and the first non-English language project to be nominated for Best Drama at the Primetime mm-hmm. Emmys, in addition to its, you know, 13 other Primetime Emmy nominations. Yeah. How did that voice role come about? I mean, I just auditioned for it, you know. Um, again, I don't. I, I'm I'm Tom Choi, uh, journeyman actor, so I still have to audition for everything. Um, and you know, it it was, it's a dubbing role, so it's you know, I don't want it to over overemphasize what it is. You know, I, it was amazing to be a part of it. Uh, you know, and and you know, when the first day I was in there, I was like, "What the hell is this? I need to watch this." <laughs> I had no idea it was becoming yeah. a juggernaut that it did. Like my IMDb rating went up to 115. And that's for those incredible. who don't know, that's like higher than Leonardo DiCaprio and that's, Matthew McConaughey. So yeah. it's just weird that that how how popular that that show was. And it's amazing on a on a bigger level. It's amazing that it's Korean. Mm-hmm. It was funded by Netflix directly to be a Korean movie. That's unheard of back in the day. Like these days, they just take everything that was made in Korea or made in a uh, foreign and then just redo it so that mm-hmm. it's you know like all white actors in America speaking English. Yeah. Um, and so times are different now. It's amazing. No, it's fantastic. It is absolutely fantastic. It must have been quite uh, interesting slash perplexing maybe to do that job because I guess you were getting all of it without context where you're just like seeing images of the front man. It's like, say these words. And you're just like, yeah, what? What is this? What am I saying? Yeah, you know, if you're going to do dubbing work, that's the best thing you could ever ask for is because you have a mask on so you don't have to voice match anything. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Oh, that's true. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, you know, they distorted my voice, actually. So, like, if you, when he takes his mask off, that's when you actually hear my actually undistorted voice. Uh, Nice. But it's interesting. Um, It's also interesting that he speaks, the Korean actor actually speaks English during that, but then it wouldn't match me later. It's, It's just, it's a different world. A different world yeah <laughs> what was your favorite episode of team wolf to film i don't know the exact names of the episodes but i loved filming that scene with void styles uh dylan o'brien in mm-hmm. the classroom when he was like approaching me um and he was choking me um mm-hmm. have an interesting story because like i, I don't want to say i was like a newer actor but i just sort of like you know, when you're not as well established on a show or like just sort of, um, you know, auditioning a lot and trying to get work and stuff, you just you give it your all all the time. Right. And so I wasn't really familiar, a whole lot familiar with like a lot of the shot setups and things like that, where you should probably save your voice and save your emotions or whatever for the close ups and things. So I just remember, like, I just gave it up my all on this wide oh, shot. <laughs> and he's like, I just remember Dylan coming up to me going, damn, you really went for it. <laughs> And 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 it really taught me a lesson. Like, why did he say that? And I'm like, oh, because well, yeah, it's a white shot. What am I doing? Uh, so you're always learning, right? Yes. Uh, so you're not the only Teen Wolf alum to star in Mortal Kombat. Both you and Lyndon Ashby have appeared in the franchise. Did y'all ever get a chance to talk about that? Yeah, we talked about that, and we sort of went back and forth in Twitter a little bit, and that was entertaining for a lot of the fans. Um, but. <laughs> You know, it, it's it's in different levels though, because like he was like the OG uh, Johnny Cage yep. in the original movie, which is like amazing. Like, I mean, you know, I was like, I'm a I'm a I was a fan of his like coming onto the show, 
So I was really, really excited to share that I was playing Liu Kang on the video game series, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but that's nothing compared to playing, playing Johnny Cage in the movie. Well, right? no. so um, yeah, but yeah. Nice, very nice. I was watching, a, and I, I think I have a question about it later, but I, I was watching the uh, kill count for uh, Truth or Dare. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen Kill Count? I have Those actually, videos? I have. Okay. I was watching the kill count for that. And when it got to uh, the scenes that you were in, he like paused talking about the movie and he was like, but I really need to call out Tom Choi here because he does the voice of Liu Kang. And I'm just like obsessed with that. Okay, we can go back to the movie now, but I had to pause and talk about that. So he I, was like- I, I reposted that because I was like, so like, I was like, so like, uh, how do you say it? Like uh, grateful or thankful or, you know uh, for that because i was like wow that's amazing that he would mention that because he could have easily skipped over me and he didn't yeah so thank you <laughs> kill count James a. yep he loves mortal Kombat. Mm -hmm. uh oh it's my next question so okay that that'll that'll work as a segue um did you and tyler posey get to catch up at all on the set of truth or dare oh yeah totally um <laughs> we always just kind of joked and when we were on set together we always, we'd always joke because it was shot at uh you know the eichen house or whatever mm -hmm. the house was we shot a scene there uh, a, a bunch of scenes there so uh you know uh it was almost like this is like a, 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 a what do you call it a, a prequel or something like that we always joke that this is like the sequel to teen wolf where i became a cop and he joined some other uh you know friends on campus or something so and then we we had fun back and forth a little bit on twitter with that too like everybody was asking like oh my god what is this because i would post like a photo of me and him on set before the movie came out and people were freaking out going what is this <laughs> and they're like they couldn't put it together you know that's awesome. That's awesome. But you know, the fans eventually got to the bottom of it because they're just freaking crazy like that. And yes. they dug up the articles and the deadline things and realized, oh, it's for that movie, you know. So, but it was cool. Yeah. Very nice. As, awesome as you said, Team Team fans are some of the most passionate fans out there. Do you have oh, any fun uh fan encounters that you'd like to share with us? Um you know, I have I have a big regret. I I remember at the height of it, I think it was season four. Uh, Team Wolf had a huge exhibit at Comic Con, and I I I just was really trepidatious about like interfering with like Team Wolf marketing and all this kind of stuff because I created this huge juggernaut. Um, I mean, their presence was like huge at Comic Con. They had the panels and everything, so I really didn't want to like step on anybody's toes and like do anything. But the one regret I did was, like, looking back, I really, really wanted to, like, say hi to all the fans in line, like, trying to just oh, yeah. do these, you know, like, a fan experience photos, like, they were in line to do that at the Team Wolf booth. I'm just, like, it, I just wanted to kind of give them that, you know, and I know they would have appreciated it, but I just didn't want to step on any toes, and all of a sudden, you know, people were posting about it and things, and then all of a sudden it takes some whatever, right? So, but but I, I looking back now, I don't think it would have been a big deal. I think it would have been great for Team Wolf. Like I think people, the, the PR department would have probably appreciated that. Um, yeah. But yeah, and just to give the fans that. So uh, I did sort of walk by, and then I, I did get a couple. It was you know, uh, so that that was fun. But um, yeah, it would have been great, and I would have had amazing fun with that. So uh, not to, you know, that's me being selfish, but I would have loved that. That's okay. That's yeah. okay. There's another I'll have plenty of opportunities, right? There we go. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, coming out. When is the movie coming out? We don't know yet. All we know is fall. Okay. So Paramount Plus, yeah. right? Paramount Plus. Mm-hmm. That's go. right. All right. I'll hit the next Comic Con. There, there you go. go. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so as we've touched on, you did the voice in World Combat and also some other video games. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does voice acting on video games compare to being on set? And would you ever return to the world of World Combat? which is a favorite game of mine. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I don't know if it's politics or if it's just personal preferences or whatever, but, you know, I think I got recast actually for the last video game. Uh, I think they went younger. Um, I actually know the person who did it and he's a, he's a great guy, Matt uh, Yang King. And, um, you know, if Ed Boon wants to bring me back, that'd be amazing. I would, of course, love to do that. Um, you know, it was a great opportunity um but uh you know there's other opportunities to play other you know i played night shin on fallout 76 which is a huge huge game oh yeah um and then i actually have a secret one i can't mention right now uh but uh i'm super excited about that it's in motion capture uh huge 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 couple games so Huh. I, can't I still want to talk are. about it but i can't all of our guests recently have big things that they really? tease us with Okay. okay. And they can't say anything. No. Yeah. Every, everybody's just been teasing us with exciting, exciting news that we don't actually get to hear about. Yeah. But we'll we'll keep our eyes peeled yes. for your name. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. We will. Kira is the first teen character on the show to have a loving relationship with both of her parents. Okay. How did you go about creating such a wonderful and layered family dynamic with Arden Cho and Tamlin Tamita? Well, when I wrote my character into the script, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, my point being is that obviously Will and um, the other uh, writers did an a, amazing job of putting me in there. I'm so grateful for that. Um, and um, you, I just followed what they did, you know, and they cultivated that character. Um, I believe at the time it was only the second time in history that an Asian American family was on TV, you know, or something like that. Like, holy shit. Time. It was like ABC's like all American family or all American girl. And then it was like maybe something on uh, Disney Channel or something. And then it was like us or something like that. So it was just amazing to be, um, you know, a part of a uh, like it was, it was it was it was actually groundbreaking. And I think Teen Wolf did a lot of that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The Yukimuras are quite the family. The Yukimuras are quite the family? They are quite the family. Absolutely. Yeah. And then if you want to talk about Tamil and Tamita, I mean, I'm sorry, but Karate Kid too. like growing up with that, it's like, you know, I never thought I was going to play her, his, her husband. It's like a dream come true. <laughs> absolutely. Insane. Insane, actually. Like, <laughs> to this day, it's like, I mean, I'm great friends with her now, and it's like, you know, you're in the middle of Iowa and you're growing up and you're this Asian kid who's so insecure and like, oh, and then, you know, you watch on the movies like this beautiful woman in, in this huge movie. And then now I get to play, you know, her husband. So that's amazing. Aww. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's so fun. Yeah. I actually wanted to ask about Canon Noshiko. Since Kira is the, the teen in the equation, most of what we learn about her parents comes from her perspective. So we don't know as much about her parents' relationship with each other separate from their relationship with their daughter. What do you think Kenan Noshiko's relationship was like, particularly when 
they knew about Nashiko being a kitsune and Kira didn't. And what do you think their courtship was like? Well, I think Will does know all this. I think Jeff and him and everybody else discussed the backstory of of, of Ken. I know Jeff told me all of, all of the backstory, so I guess there might be privileged information that I can reveal now, right? I or think not. so. Go for it. Yeah, uh, I fire think away. That, uh, she is what it was. I don't. It might have been revealed in the show too, but I think she's like what four hundred years old or something. Yeah, she was a celestial kitsune, so she was she was old. She'd been around for a while. She's been around for a while, so I'm mortal. Um, and so I fell in love with her and everything like that, I think back in Japan, but she, yeah, I, I, I think that the courtship part would be very interesting, you know, especially for me being in a role where I don't have superpowers or anything like that. And how does that work out? And then like, you know, how do you create a, a baby in Kira? Like sex must've been amazing by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put that in there. I will. The family. Future will leave that in. <clears throat> it's really. It, That's it's what you really, really wanted a, to know. That's it's not a really, really, really a family friendly podcast. So it's not. I, okay. I, it is right. not. Well, there you go. So yeah. I would not worry about it. Yes. All right. Let's just say there was a lot of chains and bondage involved. Hey, there's uh, no key chain here, those. sir. Well, how come you didn't keep correct. this? You didn't keep that scene in. Uh, you know, we had a tight 41 and a half minutes, you know, okay, that we had to it. get. Yeah. Thank, you for, thank you for week, letting so. me film that with Tamara, though. That <laughs> hey, you're amazing. welcome. You know, we, we do we do what we can. So. <laughs> um, so do you have any fun stories from the set of Teen Wolf that you can share? Um, Like I said, like, you know, just being a, a guest around there, it's like it's always like a little uh, not as like relax for me because I'm just like, you know, always like kind of resetting myself. Like, you know, months will go by and then it's like, oh, Tom, we need you again. It's like, okay, great. And then it's <laughs> like, hi, everybody. I think I remember, uh, you know, and then, you know, so um, fun stories on set. I, I I don't know, on location a couple of times, like during the car scene when it was raining, they put the fake rain and everything. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Intense to shoot that um definitely the the classroom scene watching tamlin do her ninja stuff uh, and kira fly, flying in midair that was pretty cool um but no like super tantalizing behind the scenes stuff for me i guess nah it doesn't matter it's all fun you know yeah mm -hmm. how would you compare uh the team wolf set to something like modern family or hawaii Five O? um how would i compare this set of team I, I mean it was definitely more i would say it was dark <laughs> it was always because <laughs> everything's shot dark um a lot of night shots um uh magna pi i mean it's 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 hawaii so it's it's, it's kind of non-comparable -com there um but um you know speaking personally though like because the character was so well fleshed out it was always a joy to look forward to those scenes mm -hmm. um you know and you know i magnum pot you know like uh, modern I, they were just sort of like you go in and you go out but this i really felt like i was a part of this whole mythology mm -hmm. and, and the whole spectrum of storyline you don't just shoot the scene in team wolf you shoot your portion of an entire huge story you know yeah so, yeah like, I mean, like right. in the car scene, uh, I think it was maybe the season opener, I'm not sure, when Kira kind of goes in the rain on, and kind of stands on top of the car. 
like I had to tell a whole story about the the, the ghost riders or mm-hmm. uh, I can't remember night riders. What are they called? The them? ghost riders. Yeah. 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 And I had no idea how integral that was going to be to everything, you know? Right. Um, I actually felt bad because I was like, I'm going to do my own work, you know? Um, <laughs> but um, yeah. So whatever you say, whatever you do, you are going to be a part of a zeitgeist that's been right. created. So fantastic that is a great scene at the beginning of season five where mm-hmm. it's like here's this story and it's like you don't realize like this is it like the story he's telling is the whole thing the whole that we're about yeah, to give it? you yeah you know, and... is it, is it, can you reveal if it's part of the movie or not or okay never mind <laughs> i don't know i don't remember quiet. i don't remember what yeah, happened on the movie when i was there so don't worry about it <laughs> <laughs> Who on the Teen Wolf set, cast or crew, would make the best alpha? Who on the... Well, I mean, Tyler Hecklin, obviously, because he's playing Superman now. So it's like, if you deny that, it's like, uh, you know, uh, I think I think, uh, I think, think Ken Yukimura would play a, a great alpha. I'm just kidding. I mean, Tamil <laughs> Tamina, I mean, she's, she's, has, she's the oldest of all of them. So I think she'd be great um, as an elder figure. Um, you would make the best alpha, uh, you know, Tyler Posey, but that's just kind of on the nose because that's what the whole series was all about making him the alpha. So, yeah, I'm gonna go with the other two answers I said. Nice, nice, good, good choices. Yeah, good choices. And if you could be any Teen Wolf creature, what would you be? Well, I, I'm definitely not going to be like Canem. What is it that that oh, lizard canima. guy? Canema. Canema. Yeah. <laughs> Never understood the Canema. It was like, I was like, that, he he's uh, what's it? I'm sorry, I forget his name. Um, who played him? Uh, Colton. Colton Haynes. Yeah. yeah. Colton Haynes. Uh, I was like, that guy's too good looking to be a lizard. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, what did the lizard do? Like, he didn't really have any like power powers, right? Like, well, I mean, he could like paralyze people. Paralyze yeah. people. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I always felt like he got like the 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 the, the what do you call it the. Uh, something under the stick the short end of the stick the short end of the yeah, stick. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i was like oh man like he is yeah so that's what i wouldn't do that's an easy answer okay um uh, so i don't think anyone's picked wayne to be the kid yeah no yeah. one's picked yeah. that i don't think anyone's picked the kid oh, yeah why would you like <laughs> that's like be playing the lizard man without any powers and being hated by everybody <laughs> Pretty uh, much. i don't know i mean i think playing like the uh Playing like the Void Styles character would be cool. Um, so I guess that would mean that you would be um, what's his character? I can't remember now. The Nogitsune? Yeah. So what? The Nogitsune? Yeah, Nogitsune. yeah exactly. With the bandages and everything. So yeah. uh, I think he had seemed to have the coolest storyline. Um, so that because the other ones are like kind of big, real monsters, right? But yeah. this guy seemed to have like the most intricate storyline. So. Yeah, cool. absolutely. Nice. Night Styles is my favorite villain. Yeah. He really gave us all. So awesome. He really did. <clears throat> well, Ken, are there any uh Ken Tom? <laughs> it's okay. Ken, we're good. No, Ken. we're good. Tom manifest. <laughs> uh Tom, are there any upcoming projects you can tell us about? Like maybe I, well, a secret that, one that Yeah, like that one I can't talk about, obviously. We won't um, tell anybody. Nobody listens to this. So, 
video game uh, and it's gonna be pretty cool um um i've always been wanting to be a part of this universe i guess you could say um uh let's see um what else is coming up uh yeah i mean that's the big one um you know i'm just continuing to do my thing um yeah that's pretty big though so i'll, nice. I'll stop with that one nice well i look forward to you and dr strange hanging out or... why would that happen mm, okay that would right. be weird or and not man appropriate mm. oh, okay batman hmm He's, he's just gonna are we keep getting more? Narrative, you know? There are so many the franchises. I can get these aren't the droids we're looking oh, for. Oh, it could be maybe oh. a different war. Maybe I need to be beamed up to be a part okay, of something. Okay, all right, all right, sir. Let's. I see. <laughs> I see of, what's uh, happening now. A lot of great universes out there. Yeah, a lot of great wins, and and one of them is gonna get Mr. Tom Choi. So, yeah. uh, Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. This yes, really means you. a lot, and we really appreciate cool. yeah, getting to thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. getting absolutely. to go back down uh, to Beacon Hills and yes. take a stroll down memory lane. So, absolutely wonderful. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope we have a wonderful rest of your day. And we look forward to everything you got coming up. It's going to be absolutely wonderful. Awesome! I look forward to yes. seeing the movie too. Yes, me too. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think people are going to like it. So, all righty. All right. Well, you have a great day and we'll talk soon. Okay. Okay. Right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Great talking to you. We had a great time talking with Tom, but now it's back to spoilers. I love how Mr. Yukamura tells Kira she should date the coyote because she should date the coyote. Malia. Yeah. Uh, Listen to your father, Kira. Malira for life. <laughs> it is funny because there is definitely a. Uh, Malira ship that happened later on after the season four opener. Oh, mm -hmm. definitely. I was there captaining that ship. Wolfies, you can't see it, but I'm miming captaining Something. the ship. <laughs> it's a, just a giant wheel with the spokes. Okay. That's how it works. Okay, Will. <laughs> okay. But she does at least have a friend out of the coyote. Yeah. Which is really funny to hear them talk about knowing how it does end up with her and yeah. being friends. Yeah. So the power substation that we see in this episode, I think it comes back in season five when the beast takes one of his victims there. I think there's a deputy searching for the victim and he's creeping around the substation with his flashlight and all that. And he finds the victim like pinned up against a wall, it looks like. But then he sees the two glowing white eyes and he realizes that the beast is just holding him there. Creepy. I can't wait till we get there. It's great. So where was this set? Oh, it's an actual location. It's like an actual water pump station or something like that. Okay. It's just tucked away in the hill somewhere. Cool. Yeah. Oh, and the bit where Barrow tries to electrocute Kira always reminds me of Batman Returns when Catwoman electrocutes Max Shrek by kissing him and she electrocutes them both at the same time with like this electrified kiss. It always kind of reminds me of that. But this is also like just a great introduction to Kira's Kitsune powers or, or the hinting at, at the wider story of her and the Kitsune to come. It's, it's very cool because we do later on this season have another bit with an electrified wire at the hospital that Kira is the only person who can take care of. Mm -hmm. And it just looks great. Her standing there and all the sparks kind of traveling up into her and her even better looking hair. <laughs> it's just fantastic. Yeah, and so it unexpected. Looks, it looks awesome. I feel like it was really unexpected. Of course, you introduce someone on this show, you're like, you're some, you're some. We don't, we don't introduce normies around here. <laughs> but it's just like, it, I feel like this is kind of like 
something you don't expect because yeah. we haven't seen anything like this before you know with supers and then we do this and it's just like oh hey we're we're taking another step back and widening the world of teen wolf it's great so much fun yeah this isn't actually super relevant to anything except mm-hmm. for the other day someone sent me a song after i showed them the kira fight scene that happens later in the season when she fights her mom yeah and it's such an amazing scene oh yeah my favorite but then they sent me a song after i explained Kira was like Kitsune from the really adorable band Baby Metal. Are Baby you guys metal. familiar with them? Oh, yes. I've heard of them, yeah. They actually have a song called Kitsune where it's me plus Kitsune. Mm. It's about men feeling deceived by a charming woman. It's just a really cute video, though, and I feel like nice. Baby Metal is pretty awesome. Baby Metal So cool. everyone should check it out because there's a song about Kitsunes. Yeah, we'll link it in the show notes. It'll be great. That concludes this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. Join us here next week when we discuss Season 3, Episode 16, Illuminated. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Five-star reviews get a shout-out. Have a great week, and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills. Dude, it's Beacon Hills.